From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. I'm Tammy Katzoff, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, I spoke with Lara Bouchel, class of 1996, who is an episodic post-production producer at a facility called Point 360 in Burbank, California. At Point 360, TV shows such as Fresh Off the Boat, Drunk History, and Cobra Kai get polished and ready for delivery. I sat down with Lara in her office at Point 360, and as I do with all of these interviews, I began the conversation by asking how and when she became interested in her occupation. It's really strange. I can remember in high school, they finally offered a film class and I couldn't wait for it to start. And it was taught by the principal who knew nothing about anything. (laughs) I grew up in a small town in Westchester, New York. It's always been, I feel like inside me, I've never imagined myself doing anything else. And when it came time to looking for colleges, although Muhlenberg did not maybe have the biggest communications department as far as production stuff was concerned Mm -hmm. what I wanted was when I stepped on the campus and how I felt when I got there and all that so I was a full communications major that never wavered I was a Spanish minor that's kind of where it all started Mm -hmm. it was very theory-based at Muhlenberg there was not a lot of video camera or editing material or things to do like that. I did take a film editing class, but it was very basic. Mm. A lot of it was theoretical. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a culture shock if you're going to do the jump. Sure. So I think it's important to know that if anybody out there is going to make the jump to L.A. kind of, you know, what to expect when you get here. Sure. So you mentioned it was a very quick move. Talk about that. I graduated, went home, left on my dad's birthday. First couple days of June, my best friend and I drove out here, and I had done my junior year in Spain. I did a semester in Spain, and I met a bunch of people who went to UC Santa Barbara. So during my spring break of junior year, I came out here, spent time with them, Mm. and I was like, I'm going to move here. I hung out in Santa Barbara, and then we drove to LA to meet some friends, just solidified already what I was going to do. So it so happened that one of those roommates... One of the people that I was with, excuse me, in Santa Barbara had a room and she said, if you want it, it's yours. And so I said, I'm graduating on this day and I'll leave here and I'm coming out. And my parents, as a graduation gift, gave me probably just enough money for three months to pay nice. rent. And they said, go give it a go. And I have never been back. Wow. As far as living, visiting, sure. Sure, sure. But sure. yeah, I have been in LA ever since 1996. And I think you can do it in New York for sure. But you can really do it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's more. There's way there's more. There's more going on here. I had done some internships in New York at Jim Henson, and I had done an uh, internship at Good Morning America. There were soap operas around. There were morning shows around. But when you come out here, it's bananas. <laughs> I mean, I came in the heyday of television, right? So I came when Carsey Warner was doing Roseanne, uh-huh. Third Rock from the Sun, Sybil. Like, they owned that lot in Studio City, and that was where my first job was. Wow. And it was like, bazoomba. My eyes just, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. It's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. look, there wasn't a lot going on in New York at that time, because you started when I started. Right. And mid-'90s, it was Law & Order. Right. Which I worked on as okay. a PA. Right. And uh, there wasn't really much else scripted-wise going on in New York. It was like. 
soap operas. That's kind of what yeah, I yeah, saw. Yeah, exactly. Right? Soap operas. Soap yeah. Opera. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't feel like I, I had done the internship at the morning show. I was like, this is cool, but that will run you into the ground. There was no way. <laughs> um, so I figured I would give it a shot out here. And I think it gave me the confidence to do so. And knowing one person was what I needed. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know, somebody that, you know, you can trust. I wasn't coming out here alone, which I'm sure a lot of people do, Yeah. but I didn't come out here alone. So I did come out knowing one person. Networking. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes all you need is that one person. Yeah. And three weeks later I was at a party and I met someone who worked for casting for Carsey Warner. She had had a little bit too much to drink, but didn't bother me. And I just kept saying, I need a job. And she's like, uh huh, yeah, no, don't tell us, send me your resume. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to let go. Like, I'm going to keep, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, uh huh. No, no, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to get the rest. Yep, sure, send it to me. But she remembered, which was good. Yeah. And I sent the resume to her and um, I got a job at Carsey Warner, like I said, during the time when they had seven shows rolling. And I was a corporate PA, it was a program that was 18 months long. It was for basically you were not on a show. You were, <laughs> I was gassing up cars. What? Uh, mm-hmm. I was um, getting food. I was, it was less than a PA job. The goal was to shine, to make them notice you. Yeah. And then you get put on a show. So you have to prove yourself. You had to prove yourself with the menial tasks of grunt labor. Gassing up cars. Wow, that's, that is something I never had to do. Gassing up cars was not a thing in like, my PA world. It was Marcy Carsey's car. It was her Mustang. Yeah, I guess that's an L.A. thing. I really didn't want to drive that car down Ventura Boulevard, a 69 Mustang. No thanks. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Wow. Freaked me out. Yeah. I went to her house. I got called upon. I had to go shopping with another corporate PA, myself, with their house the lady that was like decorating the house uh-huh. to help them get everything and then make beds in her personal home oh, you had to make beds mm-hmm. put sheets on and make beds no i don't like that one put that one no i don't like that one. she wasn't there uh-huh. it was her staff of people and i remember i missed a taping of seinfeld seinfeld was on that lot and i had tickets that night to go tape and it's gonna go sit in the audience and i missed it because they wouldn't let me leave The life of an entry-level production person. Right, exactly. And soon my best friend got poached. I met her. We hit it off on day one. She introduced me to my husband later on down. We were roommates. But at the time, she was very short-lived to be in that program. She had had connections that said, you'll only be in here a little bit. So she was poached immediately. Yeah, I thank God I got picked. I can't believe I'm saying thank God, but I did. Thank God I got chosen to be a PA on Grace Under Fire with Brett Butler. Yeah, right? I remember that show. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I was a PA for that show. Uh-huh. And that was my first experience. And I loved it and hated it. And made me question everything. Why I went to college. Why my parents had put me through college. Right. I was still doing all the PA stuff. But at the same time, you know, I'm on a set. And I'm seeing. And you're absorbing. And you're learning. And, and I'm you- loving everything that I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't posted then. I hadn't really had an introduction into posts. But it was just fantastic. So that's where it kind of all began there. Yeah. Now, were you always interested in doing post-production work? No, I fell into it. After that job went, I went up getting a job on the X-Files. Yeah. Um, in 1999. Oh. Yep. Wow. Sorry. I'm, I'm a kind yeah, yeah. of a fanatic. Right on. What were you doing? I was an assistant to the uh, executive producer. Chris Carter? 
No, there were a lot of them. Okay. She was the line producer. She's gone on to do many great Ooh, things. Who is it? Who? Bernadette Caulfield. Who okay. you'll see on the front end credits the of Game of Thrones. The name sounds familiar. She's Game of Thrones. Wow. Yeah, she's done a lot of stuff. I worked for her, and I worked on that show. I believe it was 1999, because I think it was Y2K. I think I have a X-Files like. So that's, cup. obviously they had moved from Vancouver uh-huh. before that. Yeah, it was on the Fox you lot. started, yeah. Yep. But they were all there. I mean, Vince Carter, all those guys, Chris Carter, Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the producer that I was working for got a job with the other executive producer on a Steven Spielberg show. And they were moving to North Carolina. And she was like, I can't take you. And I was like, that's totally fine. I have no desire to go. And so I contacted the producer from Grace Under Fire. And he said, well, I don't have a PA spot open, but I have a job in post. And I'll promote, I'll immediately start you as a post coordinator and he's still to this day a dear friend and extremely loyal. And he said, I'll walk you through the first one. We was working on a multi-camera sitcom, which one was that? It's called it's called Daddio with Michael Chiklis before the, before the Shield after the commish. Oh my gosh. Didn't okay. last very long. But <laughs> I know, right? So he said, I'll walk you through the first one and then you're on your own, sink or swim. So he walked me through one episode of posting on the show side right of posting a show and yeah that was it i that, i've never done anything else since wow worked on a lot of failed tv shows and so do a lot of people yeah, around here apparently totally and it was that it was because the shows kept failing and i was getting married and i need a little more stability that the place where i was doing the post production ala like i do now mm-hmm. right at the facility that i was at they approached me and said you're a great client. You're fun to be around. Have you ever thought about being on this end? And I said, no, not really. And they said, well, you should think about it. You should think about coming over. Mm. So I did Daddio, and that got canceled. I did the Fighting Fitzgerald with Brian Dennehy. That got canceled too. Then I went back to my producer again and did a show called Off Center. That's how my life with the uh, Whites Brothers. Danny Zucker from Modern Family. Uh-huh. Same line producer brought me. Loyalty is everything. Do a good job, be a great person, and, you know, they'll be loyal. Yeah. It's key out here. So he brought me on to do that. I was promoted to associate producer, did that show. We went one full season, and then they picked us up for season two. I remember I was on a belated honeymoon, and I got the call. They picked us up, and my husband was on a show. They picked you up. It was so great. Uh-huh. They let us shoot seven of those 22, and they aired four of them. Wow. And I'm the schmo who bought the new car when she got the promotion. So um, I, that's when I went to the, where I was posting and said, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready for full-time work that when right. a show gets canceled, you get another one. Right. You don't right. just immediately lose your job or mm-hmm. I was never, I was never long for the freelance world. It's a tough way to live. It is. I've done it. Yep. I did not like it, but, but so many of my friends would never have it any other way. My, my TV friends, they love being freelance. And, and some of them are editors. And mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it kind of makes sense to do that if you're a full-on video editor. You know, once you gain a reputation, you, it, never, you never have to be desperate for work. Never <laughs> stop working. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have time, nor is this the right venue, to talk about how a TV show gets made. Right. But just briefly, can you talk about the post-production world and what kind of has to happen after a show is shot before it gets to air just briefly so much stuff (laughs) i know i know if you can consolidate i wish that i wish that if any whoever may listen to this i 
appreciates every frame of what you see. Because mm. if you know what goes into making a TV show, whether it be something like a sitcom that you see on TV that seems like it's just talking heads, or if you are on a watching a super sci-fi special effect type thing, you cannot believe what goes into getting stuff on the air and how close we cut it mm. in terms of the timing of getting. So we're going to take your offline show that's already cut to time. Mm-hmm. Network gives you amount of time, right? So we're cut the time. Mm-hmm. We're going to reassemble that show, but with your original dailies material, mm-hmm. that's too high resolution for you to edit with offline. Mm-hmm. We're going to assemble that. And then, but we have to assemble it from the raw camera file. So it's essentially, uh, it's not colorless, but it is almost colorless. There's no pop. There's no nothing. And so once we assemble it, we pipe it through to color correction, which is awesome. There is where the pictures are beautiful. Color correction is an art form that is astounding to me because I've sat down and tried to play with the, and I can't get anything to look. I mean, it's like fuchsia. Like I can't, it's amazing. <laughs> and they hit these, but you know, yeah. Um, and uh, DP sit in on color corrections. We have color reviews with the execs. They come in. It's very super important stage for everyone. It's color correction mm-hmm. uh, for the DP, for the directors. They want to know how it's going to look. Now, when it gets broadcast, it doesn't look like how we, Send it out, of course. Sure. After that, we need we generate titles. We'll generate looks for shows with different fonts, different things like that. So we need to title it, do all the credit stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do visual effects here. We have a uh, we're flame based here, so we're able to pipe all of our stuff and all be working on things at the same kind of time mm-hmm. and all come back together. But we have visual effects. We also do a lot of visual effects pulls. M- most of my shows actually do visual effects out of house at visual effects houses right and that's what they specialize in that's That's all they do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i'm sending raw files out to different visual effects they do their magic and they send it back to us via the same deal pipe Mm -hmm. it back to us we drop all that in a lot of times we're waiting for exec approval a lot of times it's two in the morning and we're waiting for exec approval yeah yeah a lot of times it's four o'clock in the morning we're waiting for exec approval it's airing in 18 hours wow after that, we have to satisfy a lot of different department needs through the studio and the network, right? Right. So we have to then f- make so many different types of files and sometimes tapes. You know, promo department still want an HD cam. You know, we'll right, make it. Right. Wow. Guys, somebody asked for a digibeta the other day. A digibeta. Digibeta. That's case. what I used to work on okay. back in the day. Right. At MTV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Yikes. Yeah. There's some people that still do that, but not any of the stuff that we're doing for, it's all. One would hope. We are delivering super, super high resolution files. Mm-hmm. Again, we also get the audio from the audio house once it's mixed. We get the 12 channel Dolby sound that we marry in here mm-hmm. so essentially a client can stay file based the entire way through they never physically have to hold anything ever when i was a pa i was running in the middle of the night delivering tapes i was del- you know th- i was making dvds we, we had similar lives right we totally did and when it was really late my producer would let me go to a dub house 
those don't even exist anymore. But yeah. then we go to Dove House where I could give one <laughs> VHS where they had a thousand decks. And they were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Right? Bringing back memories. Yeah, I don't know if it's painful to talk about or not. No, no, but, no. Yeah. It's good memories. Yeah. Is there a typical day at work for you? And if there is, what's that like? Is there a typical day? There are clients that are very routine. The ones who really know their stuff, are, they come in on certain days, they do what they got to do, and I'm on top of that, and I know what's happening. Mm -hmm. But so often, things out of their control are flying in, flying at me. Oh, my God, I need to send this file to this person. This mm -hmm. per I'm on an email chain. Uh, like I said, we're uh, just starting uh up on this Genji Cohen show. So we're going to do some testing today. They're shooting it in Atlanta. We're testing from the dailies facility out there to pipe the dailies to us here. We'll put them on their drive. So it could be anything coming out of everywhere. That's still not an explanation. Yeah. Because there is no one, there's no there's same no day. One thing, yeah. No, there's no one thing. I mean, yes, you do at the end of the day, you're putting out an episode of television that um, is going to air at the same time. For me, the shows I worked on this past season, you know, on the CW on Thursday or whatever, but no show is the same. And so we just have to bend and you have to be flexible mm. and remain calm because if you're not calm, then they're not calm. Right. And you don't want them not to be calm because it's hard. I know both sides. Mm. Their job is hard too. Mm -hmm. And so you got to chill and just, kind of, yeah, you just got to do your best. Got to go with it. Got to go. And then I can hang up the phone and be like, rah, rah, rah. whatever you got, I got it. I got it. And if I don't know the answer at this point in my life, I'm too old to pretend anything. <laughs> if you ask me for something and I don't know because I'm always learning, right? Yeah. These file bases, these file types are so different and they're very specific what you need. Right. You know, then I'm going to get you the answer and I'm going to go to people. And if I have to ask again, I will. But I'm not going to pretend or make a mistake. I'm going to say, Tammy, I know you told me this three times. <laughs> I know you did. But I need to make this. Can you help me out? Yeah. And hopefully you would say, ask me as many times as you want. Yeah. We have I'm, the common uh, goal. I am a, a big fan of uh, asking questions if exactly. you don't know someone. And not to pretend and not to lie that you know when you don't. No matter what level you're at. Correct. Especially in this business. You can't. Because you're exposed pretty fast. Yeah. Are you Monday through Friday generally, or do you expect to have to be on call on the weekends? On Monday through Friday, we do have swing ops. So normally, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock rolls around. Like, if my stuff is in good shape, I can pass off to swing ops, and mm. they'll take it from there. I'm not the one who has to be here all the time at 3 o'clock in the morning. In the beginning of the season, I like to be here mm. because... I like to make sure that everything is going smoothly and I don't want anyone to feel that I've dump and run. I want to see it through. Sure. That kind of thing. But yeah, I do have two phones. One is my personal one and then one is my work phone. I look at my phone when I get home. Husband and kids don't love that, but I have to look at my phone when I get home um, because there's people working here at night that need me to do some things in order for them to work on it. Mm -hmm. And let's just say that the swing ops guy he wasn't here last night so i got a locked cut of the show i'm working on i need to have that prepped for my editor so he can start working on it so i do that from the, my phone but for the most part again it's the culture here it's not being assigned nine shows but then there are shows that are crazy and you are here till 10 and or 11 and, and but no weekends weekends there's a there's a uh, weekend ops guy, if anything, if I'm expecting some weird dailies, 
types of thing. The show I worked on, they did some shooting in Croatia. The mm. stuff was coming in at a strange time. Right. I'll stay on top of that. But for, no, I have not had to come in on the weekends here. Nice. Yeah. All right. It's solid. Hopefully we all can get to a spot in our life where we, we but don't I, have to. I'm not saying yeah. I don't look at my phone. Right. On the weekend. And right. I'm not saying that clients don't text. And there are, might be an emergency. Oh, yeah, totally. And sometimes DPs can't come in and sit with color mm-hmm. in the color correction room because they're shooting during the week. We also do something really cool here, which is called stream boxing. Something here that we offer for clients is the ability to stream box. And what a stream box is, is that it offers a real-time color correction. So our colorist is here coloring while the director, DP, and anyone else who wants to see it is in Atlanta and they're in their production office and we're real-time. Mm-hmm. We're going at the same time. And so they can see what mm-hmm. is happening so in we'll real call, time. So we'll call them on the phone and then they're on speakerphone so we can hear their notes and Charlie will be color correcting and they'll say, roll it back. Or wow. press play. Um, so we send an engineer out from here at the beginning of the season to calibrate the monitor so it matches our monitor perfectly. It's called shooting a monitor. Uh-huh. So you shoot to get the numbers. Calibrate there is exactly the same. Set up the stream box. Test the connectivity while our engineer is out there. And so it's incredible because it could be the difference between us being awarded a show or not. Because... We can say, look, your DP is in Atlanta. We'll set this up for you. We got you covered. Right. You know, you don't need to go somewhere else. You don't need to go to somewhere in Atlanta and do everything or or something. Or sometimes other post facilities don't offer what we offer. So we offer a service to accommodate all needs. And that's right. one that quite often happens on the weekends. And Charlie and I have a great relationship. So he'll text me. He knows I need to know that everything's okay. Because we're talking about big showrunners, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big people. Lots of money. Lots of people, important <laughs> people, lots of important money. So he'll text me, I'm rolling, and or we just wrapped, and I'll let the client know, hey, we just wrapped with your execs. So that kind of stuff on the weekend, but right. th- that's really it. Streamboxing's cool. So that brings me a nice segue to, to the changes in the, the changes. industry. I mean, yeah. in every industry, things change fairly quickly. Correct. But it, it, I feel like this industry and this part of this industry, there's constantly something new. We haven't gone through my full history, but I did the the shows I was working on back in the 90s. These were on film, right? So as a PA, I'm waiting to take the film to Photochem or wherever to get it developed and mm-hmm. then go to the post facility to have it transferred to state. So that was short-lived. I kind of think it was on the edge of that. Then all of a sudden, we're shooting on tape. Right. Right? So we're shooting on tape. Well, then I took a little break and had kids. And when I come back... That nobody wants a tape anymore. Tape is gone. Away. Tape is gone. When I took a break to stay home for a bit, they were just starting files. True Blood was a big pioneer in file-based post-production workflow. They were kind of the first that I was aware of that was a big name show that was going mm-hmm. file-based, but it was at a minimal, you know, still delivering tapes at the end of the day. Right. Now you don't hold anything ever. You don't have to. It's amazing. But, you know, there's, again, there's promo departments and there's backup tapes. Sometimes we'll, we will deliver an HDSR as a backup. Mm. God forbid a file punk out. Right. They've right, got a backup right. tape. But usually we deliver enough time. You know, we've QC'd it over here. Mm. They've QC'd it over there. So we know we're okay. But it has changed tremendously and it's continuing to change. Mm-hmm. 
they're shooting in resolutions that your TV cannot even handle. People are shooting 8K, 10K now. I mean, those may seem like just like words, but when you're talking about file size, they're ginormous. Right. So a frame, a DPX frame of something shot in 8K versus receiving a file in HD is a huge difference. So what does your company have to do to be able to handle that? Such a good question. And if I brought my engineer in here, he would speak to you in a language that didn't sound human, (laughs) but he would then boil it down to, we constantly have to, have you heard of a SAN? I don't think so. Basically a SAN is, it's like war games. It's the storage for all of this material that comes through. Okay. It's S-A-N. It's a SAN. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So okay. vaguely. Yeah. So when I worked at Technicolor, we had a SAN at that time, I believe, that could handle a petabyte of material, which is a number that your brain can almost compute. But here we don't have a petabyte. We have a lot, but we have to do a lot of SAN maintenance and we constantly have to back up all of our material to LTO, which is basically a small kind of square tape that has also progressed in terms of how much it can handle because it used to be just LTO. Now we're all the way to LTO seven. And so we constantly have to back up all of the dailies and the episodes to LTO so we can clear them from our SAN and make sure that everything is cleared off and we have not, you know, lost anything in that we have Excel spreadsheets to make sure that everything is there. Right. And then we have to hit the big red button and we've got to delete it because you got to make room for yeah. this. We can't hold on to everything anymore. Because there's always Nobody new, new stuff coming in. Nobody could. I mean, even I'm sure over there, at Techn- it's the same thing. You just have to be mindful of how much sand space um, it's taking, mm. these ginormous files. But they look beautiful. If your TV is a 4K TV, then it's a true 4K, and we can right. you can broadcast in true 4K. What you're seeing is gorgeous. Um, and it's only going to continue to get more beautiful. But And there's a lot of ever-changing workflows that I'm learning as we go. Mm. There's Dolby Vision, which is not sound. It's a vision. It's Dolby Vision. It's HDR, SDR. So the HDR workflow versus an SDR. There's mm. constantly things that have to you have to learn and right. understand. But the key to managing the amount of data coming through and passing through the facility on a daily basis is bananas. It's so much because I'm just one person telling you this, but you've got a whole downstairs mastering department. You've got a QC department. You've got, we're all doing the same thing. So we, we have a data traffic department downstairs and they basically are the gatekeepers. So stuff is kind of funnels through traffic and then up to us and back down again when everything is done, it makes a full circle, right? So there, I send them an email. I say, stage this for my editor then we start the process of editing, color correcting, titling, drop-ins, everything. Yeah. And then when we make all of our files and we're, we send our orders downstairs and they pop them out, we give them file paths of where to find them on the SAN and then out they go. Mm. So it comes full circle downstairs. So basically what I get from what you're saying is there's probably dozens of job titles that exist now that didn't exist 20 years 100%. ago. 100%. <laughs> Very astute. Because, a lot of opportunity, though. But yeah. it's funny because a data traffic job is entry level here, where maybe that would have been a vault position before. The vault used to be 
like a library size of just tapes. Yeah. And you'd have to, oh, yeah. as a client, you'd come and say, I need my this. Mm-hmm. And they'd go running and they'd disappear into the Harry Potter-ish land of, you know, where we're not allowed to go behind if you're a client and they come back up with your tape. Yeah, yeah. They were the gatekeepers of the physical assets. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a vault here. They're housing the LTOs and some whatever else, but we've got one guy in the vault. That's it. And then downstairs are what probably would have been that is now data traffic. Right. You know, files. Does that, does that make sense? It, to me, it does. Because, again, like, I, I remember at MTV, they, they had these huge tape libraries. They called them tape libraries. Yeah. Like one was at headquarters, and they were scattered right. throughout the city because you can't fit. Correct. And then by the time I left, they were already digitizing most of that stuff. Yep. And so I don't know where those actual physical tapes went. Because there's no but more tape exi- library. Correct, <laughs> but those tapes exist. Yeah, somewhere at a storage facility. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Just like that film they say is an assault mine. Say like the bulk oh, yeah, of yeah, film, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like yeah. something in the to store- keep it to preserve um, it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the film is out there somewhere. I think there's some directors that she'll shoot on film, not in television, but movies. If you're yeah big enough, you, yeah, you still yeah. can shoot on some 35 or you know 16, but it's just never. Oof. Yeah. Times um, have changed. Times have totally changed. And um yeah, it's 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 a fun it's stressful. Uh-huh. But every job is stressful. Yeah. Possibly. But it's pr- this one's pretty cool. Like it's pretty friggin' cool to like pop on your Netflix and be like, "Whoa, all the stuff." Like there it is. Yeah, you did that. And then the shows that I worked on this season on the CW are now on Netflix. And I'm like, whoa, all those things, all the, you know, it's all, whoa, mm-hmm. it's really cool. And look how pretty it is. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. And they're coming back for season two, which means we're all here doing something right. Nice. Right. That's a good feeling too. You know, once, oh, by the way, we got picked up and we're pulling. We, you know, it's a testament to the people I work with, my coworkers, how hard everybody works here. Yeah. And how much we love what we do. Can you tell me what you think are the best parts of your job and the things that you don't necessarily like about your job? I think the best part of my job is, like I was saying, is um, seeing the end product, being proud of that end product. And again, people who don't work in this industry, who watch TV, that don't understand what goes into making television or making film. That's the best part of the job is seeing that through Mm -hmm. and being a part of that. The worst part of my job is getting the phone call that a file we made is wrong mm. or a tape we've made is wrong or dailies didn't get downloaded properly and not put on the drive or what we were supposed to put on the drive didn't get on the drive and they picked up an empty drive. Like we're all humans yeah. in, in this very digital world. And then there's never going to be a, a perfect project start to finish. Correct. <laughs> never happens. And those are the ones that I'm like, oh, oh. And so I just got to swallow it. Be like, I got it. We'll get you a new file within an hour or we'll rerun the tape, all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of money that's going through a lot of time. And again, where a lot of times our backs are against the wall to air dates and air times. Like, I cannot tell you how close we come to air dates. So that show that you're watching quite possibly wasn't even done 24 hours prior. Right. And I'm sure in six months we'll have a new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And we all adapt to that mm-hmm. because somebody's doing something. A different way now or a studio wants something done differently and has done the testing and has said okay if we're going to give you this show we you need to be able to do this and then we go okay and we got to get all the equipment and all the people trained and we got to be able to do that because we at the end of the day 
we need shows and we want you to come here. So we want to say to you, yes, we can do that. It's like improv. Yes. And mm-hmm. yes. familiar with it. Right. So yes. And we'll get it done. Always got to be a yes. And exactly. There's no, no ever. Mm. That's the thing too, that you have to learn because it's a client service based industry. There's no, no it's yes. Whether you need to take a minute or a couple hours to figure out what it is. Yep. I can get it done for you. Just give me, give me a hot second. Mm-hmm. There's no, no, we don't say no. So you can't get stuck on one way of doing things because things are constantly changing. You got to go with that change. And that's an important point because when I took a job working away from that producer that I've mentioned a few times that it carried me a bunch of shows, I kept saying, well, I didn't do it like that over there. And now <sighs> this producer's like, I don't care how you did it over there. You need to do it my way now. Yeah. Oh no, but we did. I don't care. And it was a very tough lesson to learn. Mm. So it's a very true and very important point. So you have to be able to adapt to your surroundings. Mm. Yeah. I like this. To wrap it up, it's something I've thought about since you contacted me to do this, is that I'm sure there are students who are at Muhlenberg now who may have similar dreams and aspirations like I did. Oh, yes, definitely. My advice is... That if this is something, if there's a fire burning for you to do this, Mm -hmm. this is what you want to do, do it. Get some internships over the summer if it's accessible and doable for you, even if it's somewhere at a local TV station. Mm -hmm. Get an idea of what you want to do. And if you want to see it through, there's a very big world out here to do that. Use the alumni. I'm always willing to talk to anybody at any time about this kind of work. Mm. And I felt for a long time, well, I didn't go to UCL, USC film school, but I've achieved the same, the same things that they have. That's right. So if you want to do it, you can do it. And you can also get student rates. My daughter is 14. She loves editing. Mm. So she got a student rate on Final Cut Pro. And she makes edits by stuff she gets off the internet. And she edits. Mm-hmm. You can start anywhere in your dorm room cutting some stuff right. together anywhere which is wasn't something people could do exactly 10 15 years ago now you can do that so if you're saying well communications is all textbook and all theoretical and not practice well learn that absorb what Muhlenberg has to offer but at the same time find what you think you want to do and go that direction and then one day you may find yourself on a set looking around saying I'm just a kid from a small, tiny town in New York who went to a small liberal arts school that everybody on this soundstage hasn't heard of, but I'm here and I'm doing it. This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by me, Tammy Katzoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded on location and engineered by Paul Kremposky at the studios of WMUH, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band.